For the first time all season, the Baltimore Orioles have completed a three-game sweep with a 2-1 to win over the Texas Rangers. I'll recap that. Plus, the Orioles have a new player they claimed off of waivers. Left-hander Kirk McCarty coming over from Cleveland. We'll learn more about him and what the corresponding roster moves were for the Orioles coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Thursday, July 7th, 2022, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we're going to start by recapping another Orioles victory as the O's win it 2-1 to one over the Rangers on Wednesday night and complete a three-game sweep, their first sweep of the year, and a four-game winning streak now for the Orioles. I'll get to the five things you need to know from that victory. Plus, we'll get into the Orioles' latest roster move, claiming left-handed pitcher Kirk McCarty from the Cleveland Guardians. We'll talk about what he could bring to the O's, why he's in Norfolk to start, and which roster moves the Orioles also made on Wednesday, not only to make room for McCarty with a DFA, but also switched up a member of their bullpen as well. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. But before we get there, just got to thank you for making Locked On Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. We're free and available on all podcast listening platforms. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, if you could leave a five-star rating and a review for the podcast on those apps, it really helps out a lot. And of course, we're here on YouTube as well. Make sure to subscribe to the Locked On Orioles YouTube page, creeping up on 600 subscribers, trying to get there in the next couple of days, and I need your help. Also, comment on the videos as well, like the videos, and especially if you go back and watch Wednesday's episode where, you know, obviously I recapped the Orioles' crazy walk-off win from Tuesday night, but also did a mid-season Orioles award show. Go back to that one, get in the comments. Let me know who you think should have won the awards I gave out, what I got right, what I got wrong, right here on the Locked On Orioles YouTube channel. But again, we thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. And for your first listen today, we start with Orioles and Rangers. O's 2, Rangers 1, as the Orioles complete the sweep over Texas on Wednesday night. Three one-run wins for the O's in this series, but they all count the same as they sweep Texas out of Baltimore and leapfrog Texas in the AL wildcard standings. Yeah, the Orioles are still just kind of uh, hanging around at six games out of the wild card. Just saying. But I'm going to get you the five things you need to know from the Orioles. Two to win. Two to one win. Two to win. Two to one win. Over the Texas Rangers that uh, made it four in a row for the Birds and gets them to 39 and 44 on the season. First thing you need to know, well, let's start with what I just watched. Jorge Lopez is... Mostly back to his old ways. As Brandon Hyde did what I didn't think he was going to do. I said this on the podcast on Tuesday after Jorge Lopez gave up another home run in Monday's outing. I thought Brandon Hyde would for sure give him at least, no doubt, two days off and maybe three days off from pitching. Now, Lopez was not used Tuesday night in a save situation. Whether he was blowing saves or not, he just needed a rest that night. But I thought the Orioles were not going to turn to him on Wednesday night as well. Except they did. You know, Brian Baker got two outs 
out of the bullpen. CNO Perez gets two outs out of the bullpen. And with all the lefties coming up in the ninth inning for Texas, even though Nathaniel Lowe, the leadoff guy, is actually a reverse splits guy, hits lefties better, Perez hadn't thrown many pitches in the eighth. I thought for sure CNL Perez with the lefties was just going to pitch the ninth and try to get a five-out save for the Orioles. But Jorge Lopez starts warming up in the bottom of the eighth inning, and I'm thinking, wow, they gave him one day off, and he's right back on it. What does he do? He locks down the save. And started with a ground out, then he gives up a single, then he strikes out Cole Calhoun on a really well-framed high curveball. Nice job by Adley Rutschman. And then, of course... You know, he struck out Brad Miller on a disgusting changeup down and away to finish the game. Two strikeouts in the inning for Jorge. Now, we all know what happened the pitch before the strikeout. He was ahead of Brad Miller 0-2, throws a fastball down the middle, and Miller crushes it into the seats in right field. Fortunately, he hits it about five feet to the right of the flagpole, making it a foul ball, and instead of a go-ahead two-run homer and the fourth straight game with a home run allowed for Jorge Lopez— it's just a foul ball that keeps the count 0-2, and then he makes a great pitch the very next one and strikes him out. So yes, my heart did leap out of my chest when that ball was in the air down the line. But he recovered in two different ways. He recovered in the outing in total to get the save and get back on the good path, and he recovered after almost giving up the homer the very next pitch, getting the strikeout. Jorge Lopez, just a little bit of a bad stretch. He should be back. Second thing you need to know, Two words, Spencer Watkins. Are you kidding me, Spencer Watkins? He goes six and two-thirds innings in this start, allowing just one run on four hits, strikes out three and walks one, and through just 84 pitches, lowering his ERA to 4.15 on the season. Now, Texas squared him up a little bit with eight hard hit balls against Watkins on the night, but you know his pitch count got a little up in the sixth and seventh innings, especially in the sixth. He had a a long plate appearance where he ended up issuing his only walk of the game with one out in the seventh. But, I mean, Spencer Watkins' plan essentially on the day was just drop in some curveballs and guys were either taking them for called strikes or swinging at them and popping them up. It seemed like that's what happened with pretty much every batter and that's why Watkins' pitch count was so far down. I mean, he pitched six and two-thirds and only threw 84 pitches takes a lot of guys in baseball 84 pitches to get through five innings and Watkins did it in six and two-thirds if this wasn't a 2-1 game Watkins might have pitched seven or maybe eight Brandon Hyde obviously wanted to go to his bullpen you know goes to Brian Baker to get that final out of the seventh goes to Perez and then Lopez because it it remained a two-to-one game the entire time but if that game's not as close Watkins continues to roll and he threw you know 46 percent four seamers 31 percent cutters and he threw 11 curveballs but it seemed like every time he threw that curveball He dropped it in for a strike or it was popped up. And the cutter was, again, not his best pitch, but it was okay. The fastball, again, was a Spencer Watkins fastball. Velo was a little down, but it was okay. But the curveball and the slider only threw him a combined 17 times out of his 84 pitches. But they basically got him all his outs. And he only had nine whiffs on 49 swings, but you don't need that many whiffs when guys are just weak contact, pop-ups, and you're just rolling through innings. I'll take that every time, Spencer Watkins. No means, no gray rod, no Braddish, no Zimmerman. Spencer Watkins says, no problem for me. Third thing you need to know from this one is that, well, he did it in a little bit of a different way, but Ryan McKenna got the big hit for the Orioles again. Now, 
His go-ahead home run on Tuesday night didn't exactly end up being the biggest hit. It gave the O's an 8-7 lead in the eighth, but of course they blew that lead in the ninth inning. Brugnetto Dorr and Cedric Mullins had to play hero after that. But the only two runs that the Orioles scored in this game came in the second inning and came off a single from Ryan McKenna. Came up with runners on second and third and two down and hits a slow roll at a shortstop. And he would have beat out the play anyway. So it would have been an RBI infield single to make it one nothing. But Corey Seager barehands it and throws the ball away from the first baseman. The second run comes around to score on the error. And the O's take a 2-0 lead in the second inning. And McKenna, you know, had a 1-3 for three with that infield single. Also had two strikeouts, but he did get the only RBI of the night for the Orioles. And didn't hit the ball hard at all, but used his speed and got the O's their two runs. All right, Ryan McKenna. Fourth thing you need to know from this one is that, well, the rest of the Oriole offense, and even really McKenna as well, didn't really show up in this one. Kind of lucky to get away with a win. Just two runs on four hits for the Orioles in this game. Now, they did draw four walks, which was solid, but they only had five hard-hit balls on the night. Nobody had a multi-hit game. The four hits were all singles. Nobody had an extra base hit in this game. Singles from Mancini, Rutschman, Urias, and McKenna. Now, Adley Rutschman did have two hard-hit balls. Mancini had two hard-hit balls, and Cedric Mullins had a hard-hit ball and a walk, despite an 0-for-3 night from the leadoff spot. But at the end of the day, the Orioles escaped with basically doing nothing on offense against... Glenn Otto, who's not a great starter, Brock Burke, and then two innings of Jose LeClerc. That was the Rangers pitching on Wednesday night. The O's didn't really get to him, and at the end of the day, the O's just pitched better and won the game. But, you know, it's, it was a weird series. It was a weird series. Ten runs, ten runs. One run. Eh, what are you going to do? They swept. Doesn't matter what the scores were. Orioles got the sweep. And that's the fifth and final thing you need to know. This is the Orioles' first sweep, first three-game sweep since July of 2021 when they swept the Washington Nationals and basically swept the Nats into selling at last year's deadline. Despite so much more success this year, the Orioles don't have a sweep. They swept the Nats. They swept the Astros in Houston last year, which is still maybe the weirdest series of all time. But they get their first sweep in almost a year. Four wins in a row, you know, including the final game in Minnesota, ties their winning streak, season-high winning streak of four. And I mean, Jorge Lopez doesn't blow back-to-back -back saves if other things don't happen, but remember, the O's had the lead in the ninth on Friday and Saturday. This could easily, easily be a six-game winning streak. The Orioles continue to play well. They're back to just five games under 500. They're six games out of the wild card. They got the Angels up next, who, despite having Shohei Otani and Mike Trout, can't seem to beat anybody, and the Orioles have four games against the Angels at home. Who says they can't get to 500 at some point? That could truly happen, but just another different kind of win, but a fun win for the Orioles as they win it 2-1 to one and sweep the Rangers right back to Texas. But for the O's, you know, it was a busy day on the field Wednesday night, also a busy day off the field as four roster moves were made for the Orioles on Wednesday with the biggest one being another waiver claim as they picked up left-handed pitcher Kirk McCarty from the Cleveland Guardians. And I got to say, I watch a whole lot of Major League Baseball, not just the Orioles. And I was very unfamiliar with Kirk McCarty, but did my research and we'll let you know who Kirk McCarty is and how he could potentially help the Orioles here coming up next. But first, I want to talk to you about BlueNile.com because whether you're ready to pop the question and need the perfect ring or... You're just celebrating a moment 
and you need a piece of fine jewelry that's unique as your partner, head to BlueNile.com. Because if you don't know what kind of diamond you need, what size ring you need, what size diamond, what the best piece is, Blue Nile has simple online tools to let you choose the shape, size, clarity, setting, style, everything. And there's jewelry experts on hand 24-7 available via phone or chat to help you find that memorable gift at every single budget. So make your moments sparkle with jewelry from BlueNile.com. And Locked On Orioles listeners get $50 off purchases of $500 or more. This podcast exclusive includes engagement. Use the code Locked On. That's code Locked On. Plus, every order is insured, ships free, and arrives in discreet packaging that won't give away what's inside. Shop stress-free and find your forever peace. Go to BlueNile.com today. So the Orioles beat the Rangers 2-1 to on Wednesday night to complete the sweep, but that's not all they did on Wednesday. Made some roster moves as well, and one of them was making a waiver claim. And that claim was left-handed pitcher Kirk McCarty, who the Orioles claimed off waivers from the Cleveland Guardians. McCarty, a 26-year-old left-handed pitcher out of Hattiesburg, Mississippi, who was a 7th round pick of Cleveland back in the 2017 draft out of Southern Miss. He was actually recalled to the big leagues by Cleveland on July 2nd, started the game on July 2nd, and then was DFA'd on July 3rd, and three days later, the Orioles claim him. Now, he hasn't gotten much Major League time. In fact, he made his Major League debut this year on the mound for Cleveland on April 24th, and he made three appearances in the big leagues this year, spent most of the season at AAA. Now, in his three appearances, two starts, one relief appearance, he threw 12 innings and had a 9.00 ERA. 12 innings, 18 hits, 12 earned runs, 8 Ks, 6 walks, and 6 home runs allowed. Yeah, not great stats. Now, the start that was his last for Cleveland, right before he got DFA'd, he pitched against the Yankees. That was on Saturday. Five innings, four runs, six hits, three Ks, four walks, and a home run. And his two other appearances, he had a June 7th start against the Texas Rangers. Four innings, four earned runs, eight hits, two Ks, no walks, and three homers. And then he also had an April 24th relief appearance in New York, which was his Major League debut. Three innings, four runs, four hits, three Ks, two walks, and two home runs. That's his whole Major League career. Those three games right there, those 12 innings. You can't really take away too, too much from 12 big league innings. What we do know is he has a little bit of a home run problem. As you can see from six home runs allowed in 12 big league innings. And it's not just in the big leagues. I mean, he allowed eight home runs in 43 AAA innings this year, which isn't nearly as bad of a rate, obviously. But still, you would like to allow a little bit less than eight homers in 43 innings. That home run rate is not good. And really, 1.2 run home runs per nine in his minor league career since 2017 with Cleveland, you'd like that number to be a little closer to one or even below. But... I tried to do my best to find why the Orioles wanted to give a 40-man roster spot to Kirk McCarty because they DFA'd Marcos Duplan to open up space, which I'll talk about in just a second. But for McCarty, the AAA numbers are certainly better. 11 appearances, 8 starts with AAA Columbus in the Cleveland system this year. 3.77 ERA in 43 innings. He allowed 47 hits. Struck out 34 batters and walked 13. Again, the eight home runs and a 283 batting average against him. So nothing still really jumps off the page. He also spent the entirety of 2021 in AAA. Remember, he's 26 years old already. 2021, 24 starts at the AAA level for Cleveland. A 5.01 ERA in 124 innings. 
about eight and a half hits per nine, 7.6 Ks per nine, and 3.2 walks per nine in his AAA season in 2021. So we're not talking about strikeout numbers that jump off the page either. And he's 26 years old and he's made three big league appearances. But the Orioles obviously see something. And I kind of feel like I felt about Chris Valamont. Now, that was for a different reason. Valamont had these gaudy strikeout numbers, but walk, was walking everybody and had never pitched above double A. So you questioned that waiver claim to give him a 40-man roster spot. Well, Valamont tore up double A in Bowie. Now he's pitching well in Norfolk and is probably going to be in the big leagues this year. So that one worked out. Austin Voth's numbers were horrendous for the Nationals when the Orioles claimed him. I'll take what Austin Voth has given the Orioles so far this year. Now, he had more of a track record in the bigs, obviously, back when he was a starter with the Nats, but still. So I want to give them a little leeway on Kirk McCarty and, and try to find, you know, what they're looking for here. So, you know, just over 400 minor league innings, a 4.35 career minor league ERA, about 9 Ks and, and 3 walks per 9 in that stretch. Now, the Orioles did... Immediately optioned him to AAA Norfolk after the claim. So he wasn't put on the active roster. He'll pitch in AAA a little bit before the O's, you would assume, call him up at some point. But here's what he's got. He throws a lot of pitchers. He is a five-pitch pitcher. Now, StatCast actually says he has six pitches, but they registered him with one sinker in his 12 innings. That's probably just a StatCast mishap. So he's a five-pitch guy. Four-seam fastballs is his main pitch. About 40% of the time, 92 miles an hour. Now, the one thing, the one stat that jumps off the page a little bit for Kirk McCarty, 32% whiff rate on his four-seamer. Now, that's just in the big leagues, and that, of course, is just over 12 innings. But it's a pretty good whiff rate on a 92-mile-per-hour fastball. So maybe that's what the O's are looking at. It's got, it's, got a, it's got a fairly high spin rate. He throws it up in the zone a lot. That's where most of his fastballs were located at the big league level. And a 32% whiff rate, you'll take that. So maybe the O's are looking at kind of keying in on that four-seam fastball. Now, his number two pitch is the slider. Those at about 20% of the time at an 85, 86 mile per hour pitch, 214 batting average against it. That's been kind of his go-to number two pitch. He throws a changeup 18% of the time, 84, 85 on the changeup. He threw 36 changeups in his 12 big league innings. All of them were thrown to right-handed batters. That is the pitch he uses to try and get righties out. Basically never throws that pitch to lefties. Then he's got a curveball about 13% of the time. Kind of a big overhand looping curveball, 76 miles an hour. That pitch has got some solid data. That has a 33% whiff rate, and opponents hit only 167 against that curveball, so that's something to look at. And then he tosses a cutter in there 8% of the time, but an 88-mile-per-hour cutter, nothing to that. The O's may just have him get rid of that cutter. We'll see. But I can see the Orioles taking a look and saying, you're going to go four-seamer slider curveball, and play that four-seamer up in the zone and drop those breaking pitches you know, below the strike zone and see what you can do. And this is another kind of project similar to Voth or Valamont, but the Orioles clearly see something, and I think it might be in that four-seam fastball if I had to guess. But hopefully there's something there. He, he had success at times, you know, in double A with Cleveland, and even, you know, it, for good stretches in triple A this year with Cleveland, he had success. But there's a home run problem. It helps that the Orioles' Camden Yards is now a pitcher-friendly ballpark. Maybe if you get the home runs down, all the other numbers get better. That usually happens. But again, interesting move. We'll see if it works out. But obviously the Orioles had to DFA someone off a full 40-man roster to make room for Kirk McCarty. And that move was Marcos Duplan. And coming up next, we'll talk about why Duplan was the choice for Michael Elias and the Orioles. 
plus the other move the Orioles made in the bullpen, optioning one of their relievers and calling up another guy before Wednesday's game. But first, let's talk about betonline.net. Your number one spot, your number one place for all your sports betting needs. You get the lines, you get the injury news, you can listen to podcasts for all things Major League Baseball, but also MMA, boxing, and golf throughout the summer. They've got you covered for all your sports wagering information, live betting, esports, scores, and much, much more. And betonline.net, it's the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite sports and events all summer long. So if you're a sports gambler, you need to head to betonline.net. It's the number one source for all your betting needs. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action at betonline.net, where the game starts. So the Orioles with a roster move on Wednesday, claiming left-handed pitcher Kirk McCarty off waivers from the Cleveland Guardians. But they had a full 40-man roster, so they had to make a move. And there were a couple of guys who certainly could have gotten the DFA. Richie Martin is one of those guys. Travis Lakins obviously could have been one of those guys. But Marcos Duplan, to a little bit of surprise, was the guy who got DFA. Now, Duplan has been DFA'd before. The Orioles actually outrighted him off the 40-man roster last offseason. He went unclaimed. He stayed in the Orioles organization. And he's actually pitched in the bigs a little bit this year. He's made five appearances with the Orioles out of the big league bullpen this season. Five and two-thirds innings, one run, four hits, eight Ks, and five walks in the majors this year. Of course, we saw a lot more of Marcos Duplan last year. Made his major league debut in the second half of the season after... He super randomly represented the Orioles in the Futures game at All-Star Weekend last year. That is still weird. It was cool for him, but just odd. But he threw 30 innings out of the Oriole bullpen last year, had a 4-5-0 ERA, about seven strikeouts per nine, but four and a half walks per nine. And that's been the problem for Marcos Duplan. You know, I said the stuff is is better than okay. It plays at the major league level. He's got a, you know, a fastball with some life and a changeup and an interesting slider. But for the walk rate that he has, which, you know, is over four walks per nine and, and even worse at times, he just doesn't have the strikeout rate that you need to go along with that, especially in his big league time. He struck out some guys in AAA, like his AAA numbers this year in, in Norfolk, 17 appearances. He's got a 2-2-8 ERA. In 23 and two-thirds innings, 19 hits, 23 Ks, but 15 walks. Now, only two home runs, and he has a really low BABIP, so it helps him out. And, and in the big leagues, he really hasn't struck out a lot of guys. So, you know, he, he's used more soft contact. I just think at the end of the day, for a guy that doesn't have big-time stuff, strikeout stuff, yeah, the ERA is low, but when your walk rate is that high, I mean, obviously a big reason why he hasn't been up as much as he could have been in the Oriole bullpen this year because the bullpen's been so much better, so many more established guys in the pen. But your walk rate can't be that high if you're not striking guys out at a much higher clip. And so that's kind of been the issue. Duplan can choose to become a free agent if he does not get claimed off waivers. We will see. I hope he stays in the organization because at the very least, he is good bullpen depth to have at AAA. He's kind of been the Orioles' go-to guy when they need you know a little help in the bullpen here and there over the last two years. So I would love for him to stay in the organization, but I understand why he was the DFA. That walk rate is just way too high. And there's other guys who the Euros would call on from AAA to help the bullpen. I think ahead of Deplan at this point, even with a 2-2-8 ERA, just too many walks at this point. And of course, one of those guys that the Orioles called on before Deplan, literally on Wednesday, was Bo Salser, who got the call back up to the big leagues with the Orioles, if you remember back in May, the Orioles claimed Salser off waivers from the Pittsburgh Pirates, the right-hander who 
is, of course, the brother of former Orioles right-hander Cole Salser. And Bo made one appearance with the Orioles in the big leagues. Through three innings of mop-up relief, allowed two runs on seven hits, no Ks, no walks in his one appearance. Went back down to AAA, and he's been fairly impressive in AAA. Now, it's only been seven appearances, one start. But in 19 and two-thirds innings, he's got a 3-2-0 ERA. He's allowed 20 hits, but he struck out 19. He's only walked five, and he's only allowed one home run since he's gotten to Norfolk. So the numbers have been good. He's similar to Cole Saucer, you know, throws the fastball up in the zone and has a wicked, you know, kind of fall-off-the-table split changeup, just like his brother Cole throws. And he's basically back in the bullpen to provide some length. The Orioles don't exactly have a long man right now in their bullpen. I mean, you have Keegan Aiken, but he's not really a mop-up guy. You use him in bigger spots. And with all the taxing on the bullpen from Monday and Tuesday's games in this series, the Orioles needed a guy who could give them length if Spencer Watkins got hit around early. Now, obviously, he threw his longest start of his career in six and two-thirds innings, but the Orioles felt like they needed a pitcher, a guy that could provide length, and Bo Salser does that. And obviously, he didn't pitch Wednesday night, but he'll, I'm assuming, stick around for a few more days if the O's need a long guy or even a mop-up spot. But he had to send a reliever down to make that move, and the Orioles demoted Nick Vespi, the left-hander, back down to AAA. Now, this move, obviously, not my favorite, as there go the notes. There go the notes. Down they go. We're leaving that in. You're getting the full podcast experience right here. But Nick Vespi, I like his stuff, and it stinks to see him back down in AAA. But what I will say is, obviously, if you watch the last three appearances, they haven't been great. You know, the one in Seattle, after he had gone, you know, 10 appearances without giving up a run, he gives up six runs in a, in a third of an inning. Then he gets four outs on Monday without allowing a run. But he comes in and gives up the big three-run homer on Tuesday night, the eighth inning to Nathaniel Lowe that at that point tied Tuesday's game at seven. And his stuff just hasn't been as crisp. He obviously has options. And maybe, you know, he could have used a few days to reset in AAA. And the tough part with Vespi is, He's clearly too good for AAA. I mean, did not allow an earned run all year in AAA before the O's finally called him up. But he's going back down to the minors again. And unfortunately, unless there's an injury at the big league level, the Orioles have to keep Vespi down in AAA for 15 days before they can recall him. And the O's are probably going to need another reliever before then. So we'll probably see at some point a guy like Logan Gillespie maybe replace potentially Bo Salser at some point, or, you know, maybe hopefully soon Bruce Zimmerman is ready to come back. So he'll replace Bo Salser, but you won't see Vespi for two weeks. Hopefully at the end of that 15 days, Vespi is right back in the big league bullpen. Uh, it stinks to see him go down, just kind of going through a little bit of a rough stretch. And that happens to rookies, happens to rookies all the time, but uh, he will be certainly as will Logan Gillespie and others be back in the big leagues with the Orioles at some point this year. But even without Vespi, the O's win it 2-1 to one on Wednesday night and sweep the Rangers. And next up, the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim come into Camden Yards for a four-game series starting tonight. And you want to know how lucky the Orioles are? Wednesday night, guess who pitched in Miami? Shohei Otani. You know what that means? The O's play the Angels for four games, and they won't have to face Shohei Otani. Sounds pretty good to me. The O's have already taken two out of three in Anaheim earlier this year on the road against the Angels. This Angels team has just fallen apart. They have a worse record than the Orioles. They have Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. Both are playing incredibly well, and they can't figure out how to win ballgames. It's, it's wild to watch, but a struggling Angels team is coming in for four games starting tonight. And on the podcast, I'll be back with you tomorrow for one final episode this week 
I'll recap game one between the Orioles and the Angels, getting you the five things you need to know from that one. And then we're going to be joined by Eric Garfield, who hasn't been on the podcast in a while, but he is going to come back on the pod to talk Orioles low minor leagues. We'll talk about the guys in the FCL who have been impressing so far. We'll talk about his week-long trip to Delmarva he made a couple of weeks ago and who impressed him with the Shorebirds, some of the guys who have been promoted from the FCL up higher, and just a general talk about the Orioles organization in general because as Adley Rutschman graduated from prospect status on Tuesday, Gunnar Henderson on the new MLB.com pipeline top 100, Gunnar Henderson jumped from number 41 to number five on their prospect rankings. They have Grayson Rodriguez, number four, and Gunnar Henderson, number five. Also, Jordan Westberg entered the top 100, so the O's still have five top 100 guys. And oh yeah, if you missed it, D.L. Hall pitched six innings and struck out a career-high 14 batters. 14 batters. He got 35 whiffs in six innings in the best start of his career Wednesday afternoon in Norfolk. We'll talk a little bit about him too, because... uh I think he's ready for the big leagues. But that's all coming up with Eric Garfield on tomorrow's episode. Until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team 